Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, change makers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. This is a very special episode of Impact the World because today my guest is none other than Stephen Washington, who some of you may know as my husband, or I'm his husband, depending on how you look at it. And we've been married for two years now, but I wanted to speak to Stephen not just about some of the aspects of working together as a couple in this field, but his own journey in impacting the world, which began with a long career in dance and then saw him moving into his own position as a teacher through Pilates, through going to Chinese med school, and eventually finding his new passion as a Qigong teacher where he affects thousands of people every month online. Hi, Stephen Washington. Hello, Lee Harris. <laughs> How are you today? Oh, I'm good. Good. <laughs> Thank you for agreeing to do this conversation. And um, it's a little trippy for both of us to yeah. be having such a formal... I said I feel like the cats should be here because then, no. the, then the yeah. picture is complete. But yeah. I wanted to talk to you about your experience of impacting the world because when we first met, it was a kind of pivotal point for you. You'd been a Pilates teacher for many years, very successfully so after your career in dance. And that was the moment when your work, you were starting to become an entrepreneur and self-employed. There are so many different things you do, but before we go there, uh -huh. tell us a little bit about childhood for you and how you found dance or how dance found you. Well, dance found me when I was a very young boy. I remember very clearly dancing around the living room I was thinking about this uh, this past uh, weekend. We did a, a one-day workshop, and I was thinking about where dance entered my life or movement in general. So I was either dancing around the living room or I was doing Wonder Woman spins around the room, just moving my body and moving energy um, from a very early age. And uh, it was my it was my refuge. You know, I, it was my refuge before I realized it was my refuge. You know, my, my household when I was growing up was very chaotic. My parents were very unhappily married and it took them some time to dissolve the marriage. And, but it was, it was very challenging to grow up in that environment and dance helped me. And then when I found it officially in high school, that's when it went to a whole other level for me because then it was something um, I was learning formally and learning about dance and choreography and music and so many other ways to express myself. But that's how it found me, very young age. And you went to Tisch in New York? I did, I did. After studying dance all throughout high school, I moved to New York City. And from where I grew up in Stanford, Connecticut, that was about an hour away. And I was a student at Tisch School of the Arts in the dance department. Uh, and it was a wonderful three years of my life. I met so many wonderful, uh, fellow dancers and choreographers, and it really set me up to have a really wonderful and rewarding dance career, just by all the connections that I made. It's interesting to me because we went for your reunion yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. and 20 years. Yeah, and, and 
it was amazing to meet some of the people that you were with, but I've seen this a lot with friends of mine who were in dance. I don't know what it is, maybe it's because it's the awareness of the body, but so many dancers go into wellness, go into holistic training and treatments. And, and it just, it was interesting meeting many of yeah. your fellow students and seeing how that had become a gateway. Absolutely. For them. Uh, uh, dance teachers, yoga instructors, Pilates instructors, massage therapists. Um, yeah, it, it, makes, it makes perfect sense that we all understand the language of the body. Mm. And for a lot of us, we understand that the body is part of a, a system, the body, mind, spirit. They're all connected and each one is important to the other. And it, it made perfect sense for me to go from being a dancer to eventually becoming a Pilates instructor uh, and to deepen my understanding of the body and the ways that it can move. And, uh, and then from there to become a massage therapist. Yeah. And one of the things I remember you telling me very early on when we met, which I still love, What's was that? you saw the psychic. Oh yeah, the psychic. <laughs> and the psychic said to you, and this was early on, and the psychic told you you were going to be a teacher. Yes. And tell us how you reacted to that. Well, I think she was a tarot card reader. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, it was one night I was out in New York City and I was uh, with my ex-boyfriend at the time, John, and we went to some fair or some um, event at some restaurant in the village. And, and they had, uh, there's a woman in the back who was doing readings. And so I think we both went for a reading and I had my reading. And one of the first things she said is that she feels a, a teacher energy from me. And, and that was interesting because at that time, I did not care about teaching. At that time, I was so focused on becoming a Broadway star. I, wanted, I was already on the, um, in the cast of The Lion King on Broadway as an ensemble member, but I had bigger dreams. And so the thought of me going the route of teaching just felt like a, a disappointment. So I didn't really take on what she, what she said. Uh, and it wasn't until quite some time later that I became open to that. But it's funny, when I think about myself and teaching, I've been teaching my whole life. My very first teaching experience was teaching um, my a friend in high school, his mother had homes for the um, mentally disabled. And she invited me to go to these group homes and to teach movement mm. to the people who live there some sort of creative movement, just some kind of exercise, just something to get them up and out. Uh, so I did that for about six months to a year. And then when I started my dance career, we taught in high schools and, and grade schools and did outreach work and did lecture demonstrations and all that. So I'd, I'd been teaching already, but there was just something about the way that the psychic phrased it to me because it felt much more powerful and meaningful at that time, what she was predicting. And it, was, it wasn't until a few years later that I felt the truth of that. And I feel it even more greatly since you and I met. Mm. And we started doing the work that we do together and impacting so many people. I wonder too, it's interesting now we're talking about it because mm -hmm. I, I think, because we're talking about what, 25 years ago, 20 years ago? 
um, this that that you had this tarot card reading. The tarot card reading was actually probably in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Okay. okay, so not yeah. that long ago. But yeah. even even then, I feel like my understanding of teachers was much smaller than it is now with the internet. Mm-hmm. Because for, and the, the the way that, for example, now we'll go to YouTube, and it's like, oh great, this man or this woman has created a video showing us how to, you know, whatever it is, whether it's how do you get this off your iPhone or how, you know, various things. Everyone's that a teacher. Everyone, I think, is empowered to bring teaching into their life in a different way now or to be that versus back then when it was all a bit more black and white. Absolutely. I'm curious because you did The Lion King for eight years. Yes. And that's a big cultural phenomenon. And, you know, whenever we... We were just talking at lunch with friends about our story, like right. who, you know, what, that's a part of your story. And what I notice when, when we're out and when that comes up, that's like a thing that people, oh, you know, so many people yeah. have a relationship with that show or that cartoon. Right. What was the kind of gift of that experience for you doing that for so many years? And what was the challenge of being involved in that kind of scale of show? Hmm. Well, there are many gifts. One of the gifts was to be able to fully support myself as a working artist without having to have a job waiting tables on the side or working at a retail store or cleaning apartments or... Um, All of which were things you did at various oh, points. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then some. I've, I've, uh, I've done so much work being a, a night worker in an office um, and Rockefeller Center, so many different things I've done over the years to make a living and also create uh, create the space and the opportunity for me to follow what it is that I love to do, which was which is dance. Also, another gift was to be able to affect the lives of so many people. I mean, I stood on that stage and danced and sang for thousands of people over the years. And there's nothing like watching people light up during the circle of life at the beginning of the show when the animals come down the aisle and the lights shine and and we all come out on stage as different animals and the singing is so remarkable. So that was a great gift and that never got old. That never got old. Also a gift was, you know, my parents were really proud. They were really proud. You know, my, when, my, when I first told them I wanted to be a, a dancer, I can't say that they were all that supportive initially because they never thought I'd be able to earn a living at it. You know, they thought it was going to be very risky. Uh, and to show them that I made my dream come true and I was doing well with it was quite a gift and a a reward. Um, So those are the top three gifts. There's more that I could could say. Um, And you asked me about the challenges. Yeah. Ah, challenges. Well, uh, doing eight shows a week, Mm. week after week, it's hard on the body. Mm. Uh, That's one of the challenges. and this is going to sound strange, but I've been dancing for so many years leading up to The Lion King. And there are some people who didn't really 
care all that much that I was a dancer and doing all those other things that were much more meaningful to me, but I was in The Lion King. And so that was everything. So that was, that took some getting used to. That took some, took some getting used to. Um, and that makes sense to me, having seen video footage of some of the other contemporary dance pieces you were involved in mm -hmm. and how amazing those productions were and how amazing you were in those. Yeah, that must be interesting that suddenly you're in this thing that's far bigger than you or anyone in the cast. It's this kind of f cultural phenomenon. So, right. Yeah. Right. And then also, at the, you know, for me at the end of my time there, I, I was a bit of a, an anomaly because a lot of people that I worked with in the show, being on Broadway was a dream and it was a dream that they have had for a long time and, and expected themselves to have a long career in it. And they saw their place in the work in the community. And I didn't quite feel the same way. Um, I kind of felt like I was a bit of a visitor in that world too, um, for a lot of different reasons. And so there was a time when I didn't feel called to, to be a part of that anymore, but it was a challenging thing to step away from because it's such a comfortable experience. The money is great. The prestige is amazing. Um, you know, so many... Family environment. Yeah, yeah, also, and that's great, the community. But it is, sometimes we refer to jobs like that where, where you have all the perks and, and all the material things, but there's still something else missing, but it's hard to leave because it's like having velvet handcuffs on. Yeah. So to walk away from that was, was, was challenging. Yeah. Yeah. But you left New York, came yeah. to California because of a senior Pilates position in Palo Alto. Right. And at what point did you go to Chinese medicine school in that, in that period? Uh, I left New York in 2011. I moved to California because I was offered a job at a Pilates studio. Also because I wanted to go to Chinese med school. I decided I wanted to be a Chinese doctor, Chinese medicine doctor. I, I was accepted at a school in New York, but then I got this job offer and it just made sense to leave California. I mean, leave New York for California. And then uh, it took me several years after moving to California to get into a a, a graduate program for Chinese medicine, just because I had so much uh, work to do in order to just meet all the prerequisites. So I worked really hard. And that was, I started that in about 2014, I believe is when I entered Chinese medicine school. And what was the goal? So you were hoping to come out of the Chinese medicine school and... And become an acupuncturist, uh -huh. an, herbal, an herbalist. Mm. Yeah, in California, and I think a lot of other states, uh, you, you have to study uh, herbs as well. Whereas in New York, when I first applied to school, herbs, learning herbs and being an herbalist was optional. So it's a whole other field of study. And this to me is where your story is interesting because, oh, well, it's interesting all the way through. I was going to say, what's, what, I've been, what have I been saying the last 20 minutes? Well, well I guess, I guess what, I, what I love about this part of your story is yeah. I think it's really inspiring to other people who have a goal, mm -hmm. go into training, and then what happened to you is they suddenly realize it's not quite the right place for them or quite the right goal. Right. 
but they've told everybody this is what they're doing. And I've heard you share that story many times, but yeah, yeah how, what happened for you when you suddenly realized that it wasn't for you? What did you go through? Oh my gosh. It was probably one of the most difficult times in my life. Because uh, I worked so hard to get there, and I and again I I told everyone that that's what I was going to do, and and as much work as I've done on myself spiritually in my life, I have not been able to fully uh, free myself of caring what other people think, and you know, and I guess that's just part of the human condition, you yeah. know. But um, so I realized. Uh, I don't know, a month, month and a half, two months into the program, that it wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, and I did not, I did not see myself as a Chinese doctor anymore, um, and I had a great deal of anxiety about it, and I would have panic attacks, um, sweaty palms before tests, shaking hands, couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. Uh, sitting in my car crying on the phone to my dear friend in New York who was coaching me through it, um, crying on the shoulders of spiritual counselors at my church. Um, I really, it brought up, that experience brought up so many old wounds that I thought I dealt with. Like I thought that I had dealt with um, needing to be liked, being part of being accepted or being part of the, the, the cool crowd or what I perceived to be that I thought I'd, I thought I'd put to rest this idea of, of not being smart enough mm-hmm. to, to achieve something like that. I thought I'd put to rest um, so many things and it was, it was very sobering to see those old wounds rise up in my early 40s. So uh, I didn't quite know how to deal with it. I mean, I, you know, and I'll talk about this more. We, we talked about this a little bit before this interview, but you know, I've been in recovery for a very long time. And during that period of time, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to stay sober through it because I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. Um, and the thing that saved me during that period, one of the things was the angels who were sent into my life to guide me through that and to love me through it. But I, I started studying Qigong hmm. at that time. It was part of the curriculum. And just having that class to go to, learning the history of Qigong and Chinese medicine, and learning the movements and, and how it's all designed to create more energy in the body, but also guide and direct the energy was so empowering to me. It gave me a tool that I could use to, to, to move the energy that was stuck, to release some of the stress, the enormous amount of stress I was, I was under, and to... Um, just relax and calm myself enough so that I could hear the messages of what's the next right thing for me to do? What's the next, once I could clear away all the noise of, oh, the worry of 
what are other people going to think or all the old um, self-sabotaging ideas and thoughts that I would have, it was able to push that aside and just listen to my, to my higher wisdom, which always told me, it's okay, you can always change your mind, it's all right, it's okay. And yet the irony we now know yeah. about your story is as you were having to let go of the goal that had yeah. brought you to Chinese meds and go through all that stuff. Right. Unbeknownst to you, this relationship with Qigong yeah. was going to, in just a couple of years, be something that you started teaching. Yeah. It was really a miracle, really a beautiful miracle. I had no idea. I knew that once I was exposed to that medicine, I knew that it was going to be a part of my life beyond that course, beyond that program, that it was going to be with me for quite some time. I didn't know that I was going to get a certification in it. And I certainly didn't know that I was going to be teaching it at workshops and retreats and online and all the different ways that I'm able to deliver this medicine. I didn't know that I'd be teaching kids this medicine as well. Yeah, one of my favorite things is when we do our workshops yeah. and yeah, seeing people who are kind of not that bothered about doing the Qigong or they're like, oh, okay, I'll do the Qigong. I have to. If I have to. <laughs> and so many people, so many people who have done it or who, because of the workshop and you being there to teach it have been subjected to it. Yeah coming out of it going, oh my God, this is so good. This is so wonderful. And it's funny because the reason that we first started collaborating around you as a Qigong teacher is we met in September, October, where we first wrote to each other. Right. Because we met online yep. through a dating website called OkCupid. And I think we met in person on October the 5th. And I was booked to teach in Australia six dates in January. Right. So after about a month or so of dating, it was a little crazy to me to say this to you, but I had seen you teaching Pilates at your studio. And when I saw you teaching this group, when I came to pick you up one day, uh, I was like, wow, he's a master teacher. Like it was very clear. You, you just had a mastery as a teacher. So I asked you if you wanted to come to Australia and teach some physical movement at my metaphysical self-growth workshops. And you said, sure, sure. <laughs> but you said, I'd like to teach Qigong. And mm -hmm. you hadn't been studying Qigong that long. But I, you know, I always say that if you're a teacher in one area, you basically translate that energy of mastery into a new area. And you will become very good at teaching that thing, provided you're passionate about it. And it's a yeah. fit for you far quicker because you've already developed the ability to teach. And it was amazing to watch you teaching hundreds of people Qigong like you taught it for years at the time. Yeah. Um, and now we flash forward four years and uh, yeah, you've come a really long way with how many people you have affected with Qigong. Yeah, absolutely. I had an interesting experience just the other day. A woman was at our, one of our one day retreats and she was actually, she was actually in attendance at one of our one days mm -hmm many years ago when we first started working together and she was blown away 
by the experience of me then, but so much more so by the experience of me now. Uh, and that's what time will do. That's what time will do. That's what, um, the, you know, putting in the hours, putting in the, the study, yeah. putting in the passion, yeah. putting in the joy. Um, that's what it will do. You've been doing the reps. I've been doing the reps. Yeah. I've been doing the reps, and I'll continue to do the reps. Come see me again yeah. in two years and see what else you'll be even better. See. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a joy. So we were talking earlier with a friend about you should have been a child star. <laughs> oh, wow, we're really going to talk about that. Yeah, we really are going to talk about that. <laughs> um, that you should have been a child star. I should have. And of course, we all know that about you. We can all feel that about you yeah. when we're in your presence. We're like, why wasn't he a child star? And I remember we were still in the first year of our relationship. We were on tour together in 2016, and we were in the back of a cab. Mind you, this tour had 20, 28 cities? 28 cities in North America. Yeah. And we did six states in Australia, and we did England as well. Just the and two Berlin, of us. I think, yeah, yeah. We were hustling, baby. We were hustling. Um, And I remember we were sat in the back of a cab and Mm -hmm. I turned to you and we were on the way to another airport and I said to you, what are you thinking about? And without missing a beat, you kind of went, I was thinking about how my mother should have made me a child star. And that was not like you. That was not characteristic. So you you basically (laughs) walked me through how you should have been a child star. So I remember we... We came up with, I said, well, you were little Bobby in Ain't That the Truth. Yes. Which was a sitcom. Mm -hmm. And that night we had dinner with some friends in Montreal. And we basically, I told them that story as if it was fact. Mm -hmm. And then we went and told my family that story as if it was fact. So... I think you you are a child star by the lies that we've been telling. And people so. believe it. I love it because people would jog their memories and just think, well, maybe I just forgot about that show, Ain't That the Truth? And okay, well, you used to be and a child star. And that is what would happen. So you are little Bobby from Ain't yeah, That the Truth. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, people often confused me with Gary Coleman. Right. And for those of you who are too young to know who Gary Coleman was, Gary Coleman used to be on a show called Different Strokes. It's a hit comedy on NBC here in America. And, uh, and so, yeah, I would go out to restaurants in my hometown and this one woman, she, she gawked at us for a good 20, 30 minutes because she thought I was Gary Coleman sitting in the same restaurant as her. Too funny. So, so you are now out there in the world doing your thing, spreading, spreading the, the word and the energy about Qigong. And you're, the, the teacher well, that you've studied with... things too. Well, other things too, but the teacher you've studied with the most has been Lee Holden. Yes. Yeah, and you've been in, in his program. And I'm, I'm curious, like what, how, how would you connect dance and Qigong? Hmm, well, one of the things that Lee says uh, is that everything is Qigong. Walking across the room is Qigong if you do it mindfully and connect to your breath. Uh, So I think dance is an extension of that. Mm. It's always been a way to express oneself. I think you can express yourself in, in a modality like Qigong. Like you can express yourself in dance. You can express yourself in yoga. You can express yourself in an exhale. So, um, so there, there's the connection for you there. Just the movement, 
the breath, the focused intention, that cultivation of energy, and that energy exchange as well, because there's an exchange happening between the dancer and the people that they're dancing with, the people who are watching and witnessing it, musicians on stage, there's an exchange happening, you know, let alone the exchange that happens in just breathing, you know, between our bodies and the environment, so. Mm. Mm -hmm. And when we first met, you were seriously considering setting up your own Pilates studio. I was, I was. A brick and mortar place, and, and that was something you were really considering because you were a senior Pilates studio for a studio in Palo, Palo Alto. So I'm curious, what has your journey been with being an entrepreneur, becoming an entrepreneur this past four years? Mm, it's been quite a journey, and I, it's a journey that I'm so grateful to have you be a part of because you've already you've already gone ahead and done that in terms of becoming an entrepreneur and working for yourself and creating your own opportunities i think in the life that i lived before i i still created opportunities for myself but this is different in that nothing moves if, if you don't move it or if you don't create uh and create a circumstance or create an energetic space for something to be birthed and created that will lead you to earn money and, and create opportunities. So I've learned a lot from, from you and, and that experience. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing um, learning. There's just so many aspects of it that, that I am, am coming to understand one of the things that has been really enlightening for me in my journey as an, as an entrepreneur is hearing from you. And I think you, I don't know if you got, if you learned this from Brenda Bouchard, but the builder, the architect and the visionary. No, that didn't, that wasn't, that was, that was, I don't, I don't remember when that came to me, but it was mm. something years ago that I kind of worked out. And it's I, so it brilliant. may have been channeled too. Mm. Yeah, mm. so the idea that <clears throat> as an entrepreneur, we need to either develop aspects of ourselves that aren't supporting the mission or learn to work with other people. And so I break it down to, to create something or to run a business or to, push an endeavor through, you need to be the visionary, the architect, and the builder. So the visionary has the idea. The architect figures out how to strategize it and how to organize it. And the builder is the one who makes the phone calls, goes and gets the things. And, and usually, I think as entrepreneurs, we're required to be all three of those things. But I've noticed when I've worked with entrepreneurs and, and for myself, most of us are good at two of those. I'm a good builder. Mm -hmm. I'm a good visionary. Yeah. The architecture, being the architect, is the area that's challenging for me. And that's where I rely on you and our team to help me figure out how to put the pieces together. Because I can, I can build the pieces and I can have an idea of where they should go and what the whole thing should look like. And I still, I still receive great inspiration and guidance around that as well. 
because sometimes it's good to have more than one mind on a certain idea or project because others are going to think of and, and conceive things that you're not going to be able to conceive or maybe not conceive it in the time frame that that's conducive to creating this idea or this product or this project in a certain fashion. Yeah. So uh, it's great to know where my strengths are and where my weaknesses are and to understand that that all can shift and change over time. You know, you just got to put in the hours and pay attention yeah. and be willing. Yeah. So uh, it's been quite a journey. I'm so happy that I've taken this road because it's where I've always been meant to to go and to do and to to create my own opportunities and to and to um, steer my own ship. It's funny as as I listen to you say this, I flash back to late 2015 when yeah. I spoke to you and our friend Isabel about kind of what we're doing now, mm -hmm. but it was many years earlier. And it, it just reminds me, everything takes time. You Absolutely. know, it's like it was a vision I had that I shared with you guys that you, you felt the truth of. And now it's been interesting how I've been filling in the blanks of us creating this work in the world, creating a network, right. a framework through which we can put wellness work out into the world. And Interesting to watch you too, because sure, the very first seed of it perhaps was me asking you to come and teach on the tour, but then very quickly for you, it progressed to doing one-on-one -on -one sessions right. uh, on Skype with people. And then in the years since, I've seen you develop two very successful Qigong online courses. Mm -hmm. You branched out and did a recovery course, uh, mm -hmm. also online, called Release, Recover, Renew. Which also contains Qigong as well. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. and then you've also been, in the last year, one of my favorite things that you've added is your writings, because mm -hmm. you're an amazing writer. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and, and, and that's been great to watch you do that. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I'm glad you're resurrecting is your podcasts, which you began like three years ago, and you're also an amazing interviewer. Thank you. Yeah, a few years ago, I felt inspired to talk to friends of mine about uh, friends who inspired me, inspired me in just in terms of how they live their life and um, with love and compassion and kindness and generosity. So I just had conversations with them and the, the, they were called Heart Mind Moments. And you can find them on uh, SoundCloud and, and also my Facebook page, Stephen Washington Experience. And now I feel inspired to create another podcast and this one is called Love Lessons. Lessons about life and love told through, again, dear friends of mine who have had interesting experiences around love and relationships. And it's, it's been such a great joy to get to know them better just through these conversations. And it really excites me, and I'm sure it's going to excite other people as well, because there's nothing more fascinating to me than understanding more of how how two people connect and how you connect in a deeper way to yourself because mm -hmm. the love that you experience with another person, I feel truthfully is born of the love that you feel for yourself. Mm -hmm. And it always brings you back to that love for yourself as well. 
within the confines of the relationship. Mm. So yeah, and my writing, I, I, I love writing and it's something that I didn't imagine I would feel passionate about. And my passion for it is, it's something that it's this sort of quiet bubbling of creativity and expression through language. And I just talk about my experience. And I've been on this planet 48 years, and I hope I'm on this planet for many more years, but there's just so many things that one goes through in life. And what I love about writing is that I'm able to revisit some of those experiences and what, or what I'm ha what's happening right now, currently, and then take it to the people and say, this is what I'm experiencing. Can you relate? Does this resonate with you? How so? It's connective. Mm. And uh, I feel as though in the world today, we need more things to connect us. The connections are already there, but I think we forget. Yeah. We forget and we get locked in our own world and our own way of thinking. And so, yeah, yeah and, that's what writing has done for me. And creators have the ability to build those bridges. I mean, that's the, I think that for me, that's the work. It's if you have a compulsion to create something that is going to help people connect with themselves or with others, follow that compulsion and figure out all the stuff around what might be blocking you from doing that compulsion because we need those bridges. Mm -hmm. and, and through this process, and we've talked about this a lot, is that element of vulnerability. Mm. When you're creating something and you're sharing it with someone other than your close community of people who you feel generally safe with, there's risk. You take a risk, you take a chance by, by expressing what you're expressing and putting it out there for people to consume, to like it or not like it. And, you know, being someone who has a history of people pleasing and wanting to be liked and wanting to be part of, part of instead of separate from, uh, sharing what I'm passionate about to a wider audience certainly took some getting used to and the development of thicker skin um, and remembering what's the most important thing. The most important thing is to create because if I don't create, and I don't necessarily mean what it is that I'm creating today. You know, there's so many different ways that we can express our creativity. We can even express our creativity in the kitchen, cooking or cleaning or whatever. But if I don't create and put what I feel passionate about out there, then I die. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm here to live. And also, I, I know that it's important for others to connect with the things that I create because we see ourselves in one another. And it's funny because I always say and feel this so truthfully that if other people hadn't created certain things they had created in the world, I would have died. Mm. Like if it, if it weren't for certain songwriters and certain writers and certain workshop leaders for me in my teens and movies too, uh, 
I don't know if my soul would have found the expression it needed to find. So, you know, I love then now being the other side of the fence, still a consumer of everyone else's creativity, but being able to throw something back in, like I call it the wheel of creativity. Right. And we receive from that wheel of creativity and those of us that feel compelled to create, we throw something back in. Right. Um, I think that's, that's a, a gift and a privilege. So how is it for you being part of an entrepreneurial couple doing, doing the work that we do in the world and, and that you do how is that? How has that been for you? It's very exciting. <laughs> it absolutely is very exciting. It's very different than the world I was in before where you're punching a time clock. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's, for the most part, it's joy-filled. It is uh, it's very meaningful. I feel very connected to what we do and how our own personal life and relationship filters into the work and the work filters into the into the relationship uh it's been it's been an interesting journey understanding what I need personally within that and what you need personally within that and giving space and permission for, for all those needs to be in the room yeah. and to be met and to know more and more each day whose responsibility it is to meet certain needs and, and who's res who doesn't hold that responsibility mm. and to make space for that. Mm. Um, it's funny because really the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit in terms of what we could do, you know, what we could do together and, and how we can support one another and the things that each of us want to do. And that's empowering and it's energizing. And it's so comforting. Mm. It's delicious. <laughs> so, yeah. And, I, and we've talked about this before, but I, I think from the outside looking in, people probably thought we were crazy for meeting, falling in love, moving in as close oh, as soon did. as we did. No, not even. And then begin and work together. <laughs> working together and we and, even questioned it yeah, yeah and to do and to go on that tour that was basically just you and i in a in a few big suitcases yeah. and a whole lot of venues and a lot of yeah. participants and 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 volunteers and all that but we learned so much i learned so much about myself i learned so much about you i learned so much about the world that that you've been working in for a long time that was new to me um you know this this part of the spirituality and self-growth is different from what i had experienced and most of my spiritual foundation and self-growth foundation has been through 12-step recovery 12-step recovery and all the books that i've read 
and a few of the workshops that I've taken. And yet, when I went to a lot of meetings with you、mm-hmm. for the first few months we were together,、um, to really understand your world, because that、mm-hmm. was a huge part of your world, I remember saying to you, "Oh my God." Two things, like number one, this reminds me a bit of my workshops. Absolutely, because it's people sharing their hopes, their fears, their dreams, and right. But it, I also remember saying to you, this would be so good for the world, regardless of whether someone's in a twelve-step meeting for a named addiction or issue.、Mm-hmm. Just people sitting round at the beginning of their day, and everyone gets a couple of minutes to express what they're feeling. And and laughing and and being vulnerable, I was like, God, wouldn't the world be a healthier place if we had this kind of level of honesty and communication and yeah, peer so support? They are very, yeah, different, but the crossover is is there really, right? And I I feel like for me, looking back, that tool was an initiation. Like I I feel. It, it was great, but it was also really challenging. Like for me, I think the biggest adjustment was I went from doing it alone、mm-hmm. to all of a sudden you were there,、mm-hmm. and because of the nature of some of the things I did in those workshops, it's having to learn to detach from our relationship and and be comfortable with that. That which was tricky for me because、yeah. before we were doing that, we could compartmentalize. I go off to work, you go off to work. Now we come back together. Right. All of a sudden, we're in this very new formation, which requires very different things. But、yeah. I feel like, because we did so much in that first year, it really gave us a foundation not just for our working relationship, but for our relationship. Yeah. So that you know, we've it, it was tough at times. Sure. But it it was it was an initiation for everything that's come since. It's interesting. Something else comes up comes to mind too that I feel as though I've. Successfully navigated, and we've as an individual, but I think we've navigated as well as well as a couple of just the unique, the unique situation and dynamic of of you being who you are and what you do and how well established you are, and me walking into something new and and falling underneath that umbrella,、mm. and how to for me to be a. Strong, confident individual within that, and not lose myself,、um, because I think in my prior life, I could walk into a room and be recognized or or, or praised for all the things that I've accomplished. But in this this setting, I walk into a room, and people didn't know who I was, or I was Lee's husband or Lee's boyfriend,、um, and I didn't have a whole lot to to sort of stand、mm. up on on my on my own initially,、uh, or I didn't I didn't fully recognize it as 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 much. Does that make sense? Completely. Yeah. And I remember I didn't really realize that until we were in it because、yeah. for us we're just us. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, and it's it's the same for me. It's like we're just in our quiet little life. And then every now and then, you go and stand on stage for a few hundred people.、Mm-hmm. And in that moment, you're there's a spotlight on you. Yeah. But there was also this weird dysmorphic thing for our relationship at first、right. when I noticed that was happening. You know, someone would want to come and talk to me, and they would kind of acknowledge you, but not really. And that, <laughs> I was like, huh, what's、yeah. going on? You、yeah. know. 
So, but I think we navigated it. I think you navigated it really well. Yeah. I think you've, you've, and I think that's n not the case anymore, but that was, yeah. that was weird, trying to organize that a little bit. It was, what it was, was a lesson in, in, in self-worth and knowing, knowing your value and not attaching your value to other people and their responses to you. You know, the same thing could be said for, you know, when someone, when I, when I put a video out and someone says how much they love it and they like it or what have you and how much it's changed their, that helped them. Uh, I'm sure there are people out there who don't like it, don't love it and hasn't really changed much for them. Yeah. So, you know, I have to be measured in how much attachment I have to either. So it's, it, it was definitely a lesson in, in, in self-worth. Uh, and that lesson had my name on it, otherwise I wouldn't have been given it. Yeah. So I'm grateful for it. And one of my favorite stories of the 2016 tour was when... because uh, oh, Atlanta? Yeah. <laughs> this was funny. I, we would do these evening events, yeah. and the evening events were just me, because at that point, I was the one that people were coming for, I was the one that was known. But the one-day workshops, you would feature doing some Qigong, and also we didn't really have time to do physical no, in a two-hour thing. No. And I remember you telling me, so you would host those evenings. You would be there on the door. I would work the merchandise. And but a lot of things. people didn't know who you were at that mm -hmm. point. And I remember you coming backstage afterwards and saying to me, I had a conversation with a woman and she said to me, she said, oh, you're with Lee? You're so lucky. And you, your response to her was like, he's lucky too, straight back. <laughs> And, I, and she also said, oh, yeah, I suppose he is. And I, I'll never forget that. That was so good. And that was, yeah, that, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, that, that spotlight can do a weird thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I really agree. I think, like, it's really, it makes me very pleased if someone says that something I've done helped them. But you can't get too attached to it because it's, that's their experience. Yeah. It's like... You know, I'm a fan of Tori Amos, but if I line up with 10 other Tori Amos fans, we've all got different favorite songs. We've all got different meanings. You know, it's mm. not, it's their experience that they're having and it's great they're having a good experience, but it's theirs. And you have to kind of leave it with them in all ways, whether they don't like it or whether they love it. It's not, I always feel it's not for you to mess with. That's their experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So what's next for you? Stephen Washington. What's next? What's not next, Lee? Well, I know what's not next, <laughs> but yeah, what, what do you see for like your next year as a creator and a teacher? Well, I'm working a lot with, with kids mm. right now. I, a lot of opportunities to work with younger people has, has materialized in my life. I, and what does that look like? Well, I teach Qigong to children at a local school, and I've been doing that for the better part of this past year. So that will continue and grow and change, and, um, and that's exciting. And I've also been working with an organization in Santa Fe, New Mexico. There's a performing arts high school that's invited me to create material, create products for the kids. Uh, I'm creating MP3s meditations and also qigong videos that are specifically designed to help them manage stress and anxiety and for them because most of them a lot of them are 
performing artists having to 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 go out and perform before a group of people sometimes there's nervous energy before a show so what do you do with that nervous energy so to give them tools to to help them so things like that have have come on the on the on the horizon for me and also working on a my first retreat that I will be doing with someone other than you I'll be doing with my friend Cornelius yeah, we're going to create a, a retreat. We're still trying to decide exactly where and when, but it's in the it's in the making. And creating more online courses. Mm. Uh, I think my I'm I'm pretty certain of my next online course in the title, and uh, I'm excited about it. And uh, continue to write. Yeah, and create more written more written pieces to help people and, and to connect. How would 2014 you mm -hmm. feel about 2020 you sitting here today? Oh, 2014 me would be very happy, um, delightfully surprised in some ways, but not really surprised at what I've been able to experience and accomplish. And uh, I'm smiling because I'm, I'm, I'm channeling 2014 me. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Do yeah. you have any closing words for anyone watching this who is a creative, an entrepreneur, or somebody who just wants to get creative with their life and make a change and they're nervous or they're unsure? The first. The first thing that comes to mind is don't wait until you have it all figured out before you take a step. Just take the action. Take the next right action to, to, to create, to move forward, to follow that, that, that hunch that you have to do something and to make an impact. Because we can, we, can, we can talk ourselves out of anything. So, yeah, don't wait for all the ducks to be lined up in a row before you, before you leap. Uh, one thing I know from my own experience is that I have left sometimes before everything was neatly organized. And sometimes that's been beneficial and worked out really well for me. And then other times, not as much, but I always learned. And if I could go back and change any of it, I wouldn't change, a, I wouldn't change any of it. Hallelujah, baby. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you for impacting the world. Thank you for changing my world. I love you. And yeah, excited to see what you do next. Thank you, love you too. So if you want to know more about Stephen and his work, you can visit stephenwashingtonexperience.com. You can also see him working alongside me at the events and retreats that we have coming up. And thanks so much for tuning in to the show. You have been listening to Impact the World. For more of my work, please visit leeharrisenergy.com.